Welcome back to another episode of Pandemic Check-In. Uh, it's June, mid-June now, which is Pride Month. I'm sure that you guys out there are celebrating Pride. And with everything that's continuing to happen across the country and the world, we thought this week we would highlight some Black trans-led organizations that we've been learning from and wanted to share with you guys. So uh, a few organizations here. The first one uh, that we found that we really like is called GLITS, G-L-I-T-S. And it's raising money to house Black trans people, and they're just getting started. Um, another group is called Snap for Freedom, and they've put together another great toolkit for people out there who are interested in policing and punishment. An organization called TGI Justice has been doing some really amazing work addressing the prison industrial complex here in California, where I am. Uh, a few more organizations, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute has awesome membership benefits while your money goes directly to the black trans community. Uh, An organization called the Okra Project works to have black trans chefs cook directly for black trans people. And finally, uh, for the Gwarls, that's for, uh, F-O-R, the G-W-O-R-L-S, they raise money to assist black trans folks with rent and affirmative surgeries. So you can find links for all these organizations and more in our show notes. Also, Lifeline, uh, which we talk about in every show, we have in the show we have their number. They put together specifically a trans Lifeline now for transgender uh, people who are having uh, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. That number is 877-565-8860. All those are in the show notes. So just tap on the show notes. You can find those. And now, hey, Brooklyn Mines, how are you guys doing today? Better now that we're together, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I love doing this. Today, we have uh, Owen Muir uh, with us, a uh, psychiatrist. We have Michelle Burnaby with us as well. And we have Will Osei, uh, who is a postdoctoral fellow therapist at Brooklyn Minds as well. Uh, how, Will, how are you? Excellent. Doing good. How, how's your week been? Oh, pretty busy, but I'm um, enjoying it. I feel like we're in an in-between time. Right now, there's like a lot happening, but um, maybe things have ratcheted back a little bit from where we were in a few different like over the last few weeks. Like, I think things are going to start like the pressure is just kind of like dialed back a little bit, but it's about to keep pushing. Yes. Well, especially with COVID, right? Because we're seeing states that kind of have been chill, chill, chill about it. Their numbers are spiking. I think Texas is one of them, Arizona. So, yeah, we're seeing I mean, that. In between, I think COVID numbers, unfortunately, are going to go up again soon, which is interesting, right? I don't know if you guys have been reading kind of the articles about that. There was a really, there was a really excellent episode of the Daily uh, earlier this week that I thought was like, um, you know, they had their their lead COVID reporter on, and he was saying that, yeah, things are kind of better now in the summer. We're outside more. It seems like this is really something that happens with inside transmission, but the fall, the fall. He's really, really worried about. Owen, Owen, where are you at this week? Uh, we call this an incubation period. So we just had massive events for COVID transmission, massive. And uh, and the police used tear gas, which uh, increases sneezing and lacrimation and COVID transmission, at least theoretically. Um, and we have about 14 days till everyone who got infected in that period of time is going to show up. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm worried like, whoa. Yeah. Yes, but I'm hopeful that because it was outside, um, maybe we won't. But definitely the 14-day incubation period right now is a real thing. Right, right. 
Well, in, in your work, you know, primarily with your uh, with your patients, uh, what what are you hearing? What are people saying to you? What's your clientele? How are they feeling? I mean, for me, I'm seeing a lot more of both uh, grassroots activism. I think people who weren't very um, vocal before are being a lot more vocal. And even though the media is kind of toned down, I think like in certain uh, sources like um to use the term black Twitter, I think there's a lot more instances of paying attention to things and pointing out different ways. I saw this uh, video yesterday where this young black boy is playing basketball. I don't know if anybody's seen this video yet. And every time a police car drives by, he hides behind a truck. And I saw it posted on a lot wow. of sources that like, this is something that, you know, um, children of like white culture don't ever have to think about. And this was something the boy did almost naturally. It was kind of eerie. He was, he would shoot baskets, hear the cop car coming, walk quietly behind the truck, go right back to playing basketball. And I think that's like a huge, um, telling symbol. And I think a lot more people are aware and paying attention to things like this. So it's almost like a broader issue. So in some ways it does feel like violence and the protests might be simmering down a little bit, but I really think there's this grassroots activism that's taking place. Um, and I've also heard a lot more. We talked a lot about police and I've been seeing a lot of interesting ideas come out. Like um, one city, I can't really remember it right now, but it's talking about sending, you know, social workers or non-law enforcement to non-emergency or non-violent police calls, right? And that's like, that would be a huge change. And this is like, when we talk about defund the police, we often talk about like, so what's going to replace that? And I think that's a great idea, right? Um, wouldn't it be better to have, you know, a social worker come out to those calls rather than, you know, a law enforcement officer? Because we talked about this um, in our webinar last week where it's police are asked to do 30, 40 things, right? They're, and they're not really good at any of them. So why not bring the <laughs> experts who are good at these things in in those situations? So that's just kind of the things I've been observing this last week. There was something that happened recently. I can't remember exactly what it was, but uh, some kind of federal crime occurred with the post office. And it turns out that the post office has its own sort of specialized law enforcement uh, that investigates all postal crimes. And we started having a conversation about that uh, with the folks at the office. And, you know, it turns out that there are all these like very, very specialized law enforcement groups that exist to uh, to investigate and to um, figure out, I guess, find the people who commit like these different, like the Treasury Department has their own police force. Um, here in California, the um, reti there's like a special police force that uh, is only concerned with crimes and safety in like elder care homes and nursing homes. And we were just thinking like, oh, well, th there's a model too, right? Like you don't have one kind of catch-all police that is, like you're saying, there to deal with like everything that society puts in front of it. Instead, what if you did have like specialized, little specialized units that were to go out and investigate specialized crimes and everything else was dealt with, like you were saying, like mental health counselors or psychologists who work with kids. Like if you see kids who are, who are truant, like go talk to them and see what's going on. You know, don't send us, don't send the school cops with M16s. After 9-11, we had 3,000 people die in one day, and we were all very surprised. Uh, and, and we did a lot about that, still to this day. Average that out over three years, and now repeat for the past 200, 300, 400 years. And imagine it just kept happening. Just every day, 9-11 continues. 
the threat is real for your community, and then have everyone else tell you it's a conspiracy. It's just massively invalidating to your experience. Mm-hmm. And metaphors are kind of the only way we have any access to other people's experience, really. And that, that was one that helped me go, oh, you know, that's, yikes, no wonder. You know, it's, it's funny, like, um, I've just been, like, when, when you were saying that, it made me think about how we, com- we have been comparing different kinds of tragedies a lot recently, you know, like, oh, COVID has killed more people than 9-11, and then COVID has killed more people than, you know, Vietnam, and then, you know, now we're, I think we're closing in on World War II, right? And it is interesting that we do this, we it takes us doing these like comparatives of different types of tragedies to really wrap our heads around ways that, you know, we're suffering or other people have suffered. One death's a tragedy and a million is a statistic. Although, you know, there is that kind of like saying in the nonprofit world that doing these big comparisons aren't actually what moves people. It's, a, it's telling one personal story. And so the stories we tell matter and the words we use matter. And the more we can learn that other people hear the words we use and might not understand them the same way can help us select words that might be more reliably understood. Okay, you guys ready to do some listener questions? We got a lot of voicemails and text messages to get through. So I know you guys have limited time. Let's try to get to as many as we can. First, let me read the disclaimer. Listening to a podcast is not a substitute for getting real help. This show is not intended to be a substitute for professional, medical, and or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a mental condition or mental health need. Okay, first up is a voicemail we got from Adina. I've been thinking after graduating high school and the transition to college will be not as stressful but will be different than other years. And the most challenging part right now is just being stuck at home and not being able to talk to my counselor since I'm an undeclared student to further go with the plans for my college. I'm excited about um, being able to stay just for another semester down in San Diego before dorming at Cal Poly Pomona. But I'm kind of sad that I can't start off my year being at Cal Poly Pomona and finding new friends. So this is a uh, graduating high school senior who is now, um, you know, she's set to start her first year at Cal Poly Pomona and she's kind of not knowing how to feel about how to do a big change like that and how to... um, even navigate college during this time of COVID? I think just the first thing that comes up to me, and I'll leave it to the the doctors, um, is leaving space for uh, grief. I think as as nurses, we do a lot of the hospice care, even informally, um, in our world. And Adina, yeah, um, I... I, I am hearing the sadness there and this loss, right? That's a huge experience, your freshman dorm year. Um, and just kind of giving space or even, you know, doing a ritual to grieve that um, and giving yourself space to grieve that because it is a loss. 
there's really good counselors in college too. So as a student, you're going to have access and a lot of college counseling centers are still open and ready and willing to help students. And even if you're not enrolled yet, um, as somebody who recently finished working in college counseling, um, they're very helpful and willing to reach out to you and support you, even if you're not quite a student yet. And so I would, as a practical tip, reach out to them, get connected, um, and they will really help you land on your feet and make sure you're supported um, throughout your kind of early experience. And that can be really helpful for a lot of kids because, um, excuse me, a lot of young adults uh, because <laughs> uh it is a big adjustment, even though sometimes we have these expectations that it's going to be a lot better than high school. Um, sometimes the reality can be different. And so just getting some support um, is going to be really helpful. I think it can be hard. I remember when I was in college uh, a long, long time ago, uh, we had a very robust college counseling center where I was, but I never really knew how to access it because I had never been like I had never been in therapy before. I had never seen a counselor before. What are some good things that like incoming freshmen can do to sort of like, like get over the hump of getting to a counselor or make it easier for them to to see a counselor for the first time? Do you guys have some ideas that that uh, somebody like who somebody somebody like Adina who's going to be a college freshman can do to sort of access those resources and feel okay about it? Um. Anything that you only do when it's a crisis situation is something you're probably going to do in a pretty clumsy way. Um, so I would say uh, the best time to go see your college counselor is when you have no problems whatsoever. Uh, and you just want to get in practice of going to the counselor when it's like a really slow stress situation. There's nothing you can kind of F up. Like if they give you bad advice, it doesn't really matter because you don't have any actual problems at the time. But you just get used to going. And that actually has two actual purposes. One is that the person's going to get to know you because they want you want whoever you're seeing if you're in a crisis to know who you actually are when you're not in a crisis so they can like tell the difference and two um, then you'll be used to it and if something bad happens you already have someone you trust and you're used to going to and also your friends won't know anything's up because they see you go there any week every week anyway so I'd say everyone who's starting college just go see that college counselor once or twice. See if it feels good. If it does, keep going, even if you got no problems. Yeah, and there's all, there's also if you feel like that might be too, um, if you already have a counselor or you feel like that might be a little too intensive, you, there's also, they usually offer lots of other resources, right? There's groups, there's trainings. So again, just go to the website, call. And again, I'm most college counseling centers are really friendly. They're used to working with college students. They're really good at this. Um, and again, this can be, Owen talks about making a part of your routine. This can be really private too. It's a really, if you don't want people to know you're going, you don't have to. And it's really easy because you can go between class, go after class, and it's really kind of flexible. Um, it's actually really a good model. It's actually kind of easier than sometimes not being in college and having to do all this work for yourself to find really good counselors. But most college counselors are really good, strong counselors who, um, so you're almost going to get better quality and it's going to be a lot easier. So again, I think Owen's hit the nail right on the head is just go a couple times. And, you know, when finals comes around and you're like starting to lose it, you'll already have this relationship that you can rely on. Yeah. Um, two things. One, to kind of highlight what they're saying, we're seeing at Brooklyn Mines, the people who have been patients of ours are doing better in the pandemic because they have developed the skills in non-pandemic ordinary times um, to deal with these things. And two, um, the head of 
NYU's a psychiatric nurse practitioner program, what she says to the incoming students, at one point I was one of them, um, was no one was no one has dealt a full deck of cards. Um, everyone needs therapy. None of us, we all have missing cards. <laughs> um, and it's better to figure that out sooner than later, kids. Cool. Um, and I think things are going to be different now anyway, because like who knows what's going to be online and what's going to be in person. So it might be even easier to go see a college counselor for the first time because you don't have to actually like do that thing where you walk across campus and go to the counseling center. You can just like hit them up with an email or a text and jump on the Zoom, you know, so maybe maybe easier for people, but also weirder. I don't know. <laughs> um, let's go to another voicemail. This is uh, Emma, uh, also a recent grad with a question for us. I graduated university uh, June 2nd. I'm 22. And since then, I moved back in with my parents. And I don't know, mentally, it's just been really hard going from, you know, being in school and having a job and living on my own to kind of regressing almost, it feels like, you know, definitely, I'm having a lot of issues regarding boundaries that you know, maybe made sense more when I was a teenager, but um, as an adult, I'm kind of resenting. Um, I love my parents. They're lovely people. We're honestly having a really good time together for the most part, but, you know, it's it's hard getting used to uh, asking if I can go see a friend or, you know, telling them where uh, where I'm going on my walk or being, you know, being told to do chores and things like that. Things that I would do on my own. But, um, yeah, I'm just not used to having that kind of parental um, authority <laughs> these last four years. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. That's probably uh, what I've been noticing the most. Um, thank you for doing this and hope you have a good day. So this, I think, could possibly be the most popular pandemic check-in segment we've ever did. How do kids deal with their freaking parents, man? So as a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist, um, I have a patented strategy for uh, helping kids with this problem, which is um, my job is to teach kids how to manipulate their parents especially teenagers, and especially when they're a bit younger teenagers, you really want to get great at manipulating your parents so that when you build up enough kind of like capital as a good kids, so that when you actually want to do something fucked up, you can get away with it. Um, and I explain this to kids in front of their parents. And I explain it to parents in front of the kids. Um, they're both in the room. They're sitting next to each other. I do kind of the – okay, so as an aside. Um, but the trick is – this is really, really, really easy. Be a good kid – most of the time. Be curious about what your parents want and validate their feelings. First off, it's hilarious because they'll have no idea what's happening. Like, wait, why are you, you actually cleaned your room without me asking what's happening? And just like try not to laugh when they're like freaking out about it. Um, and and like, you know, if people went anywhere, you could call or what or whatever. But like, actually being curious about what your parents want and then then actually trying to understand why that might be, they are going to have no idea what to do with it. Um, and then you can, I mean, like, like record it, watch it later. It's a good video for your, like, check out me punking my parents' YouTube. Um, but you do it by actually 
understanding what's going on for them. And it's going to be such a mind fuck because like they're used to you being snarky. Yeah, for me too, it's like, um, this is not a, uh, you're not alone in this struggle. I think um, most emerging adults, especially now with our generation where most of us end up moving back home after college, um, this is a very common issue. And to me, it's almost like there's this elephant in the room where it's, I'm an adult now, right? So I, I, you expect to be treated like an adult. But the thing you have to remember is sometimes, you know, mentalizing or thinking about your parents' point of view is like, they don't know how to treat you in any other way, right? You were their child a few years ago, and they also have to learn how to deal with you as an adult. This is a new relationship. And so sometimes sitting down and having this conversation and talking about it out loud with your parents, like, hey, let's sit down and talk about this and talk about maybe how the rules might need to be changed or I might need more flexibility. Because it sounds like you have a good relationship with your parents. They're not trying to do this to be controlling. This is just how they have learned to relate to you. And they're going just like you're going to have to learn to relate to them as an adult now, your relationship's going to be different, right? You're going to have to almost develop more of a friendship and more of a partnership with them as you kind of uh, learn this new way of being together. Um, so think about that. Have you ever had and sat down and had that kind of open discussion about the rules and what can be done and how to kind of have more freedom and flexibility while still under their roof, right? If you want to practice, like Ben and I can be your dads. <laughs> <laughs> I think like as a parent of nine and 11 year olds, I would love to uh, participate in this role play, but I think it would just freak me out way too much. It's just, I feel like that's still parenting way over my head. But I mean, like, it's actually not that hard. Can you just narrate what's actually happening? Um, hey, mom and dad, I want to have a conversation with you. And that conversation about how is how it's weird to be an adult at home. We haven't been talking about it because it's weird. And so it's just kind of sat there like this big elephant in the room, and you're not talking about it, and I'm not talking about it. But I'm like 22. I mean, just to kind of affirm, um, Bloomberg, his little city lab, wrote an article this week that I read. It was when the pandemic sent you back to childhood um, and how adulthood has been strangely interrupted. Hmm. So affirming that it is like a, you're not alone. A, a lot of people's adulthoods have been strangely interrupted. Talk about it to your friends. Yeah, how are your friends dealing with the same thing? Because everybody, to your point, Will, everybody is kind of dealing with the same things right now, just kind of alone in our own little houses or apartments or wherever we are. When you're 50 or even 40, no kids will ever understand what you went through. Imagine how smug you're going to get to be. <laughs> Back in my day. <laughs> totally. Um. I know you guys all got a jet pretty quickly. Is there more that you guys wanted to talk about today or should I just kind of close this out here? I do want to express my gratitude for doing this. I was reflecting on this kind of process of doing this together, Ben, and 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 I, I really like it. I mean, um, I get like three therapists to talk to every week, so I feel like this has been really <laughs> great for me. <laughs> but it's also good practice at like, like making sure if I say things, they make sense to people and they don't just sound like doctory and stupid. I do sort of feel like, like I said at the outset, I do sort of feel like we're in an in-between time a little bit. Like I was kind of like thinking like, do we really need to do it this week? The pandemic seems kind of like it's on hold for a minute or mm -hmm. two. <laughs> totally. But it's totally yeah, not going to be on hold soon. You know, like it's just going to come roaring back, I think. Yeah, there's something. I mean, that's I now I get what you're saying. I don't think I understood it at the beginning, but you're right. I think because this is like a new 
paradigm for our brain, the pandemic, that like it's trying to revert back. Like it, it just knows normal times. So it's like, oh, this must be normal. Um, like I'm just feeling, I'm cognizant within my own body. Like I don't feel like it's going to get worse in December. I, I can't imagine it all happening again. All right. I trust because I the epidemiologists I follow are pretty strong <laughs> asserting that. So I trust, but it's just like I can even um, sense my own disbelief tendency. And I think that's because it's just a new thing. Um, I know you guys got to go. We didn't get to everybody this week, but, um, you know, we'll get to more people next week. Thanks again for doing this. I'm just going to read our disclaimer again. Uh, listening to a podcast is not a substitute for getting real help. This show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical and or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a mental condition or your mental health needs. And if you're in crisis right now, let me give you a few resources. You can text a crisis text line. Just text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741, and a crisis counselor will text you right back. You can do it. It's going to be okay. If you want to talk to someone, you can also call right now LifeNet. That's 1-800-LIFENET if you want or need to talk on the phone. And again, that the Trans Lifeline, which is a new service that's out uh, very recently, is a transgender suicide hotline. You can call that number 877-565-8860. All of these numbers, all of these resources are in the show notes. Just tap the show notes in your app that you're listening on and you can find them all right there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Have a good week. And remember, we're actually mental health professionals. People can get actual help from people they've even heard on a podcast. Isn't that weird? It's amazing. It's amazing days. Thank you all out there so much for listening. If you're listening to the show and finding it useful, please help us get the word out. Tell your friends and family, anyone you think we could help. And leave us a review and a rating and Apple Podcasts. That does help give the show a boost in discoverability so that more people find us. Uh, Pandemic Check-In is produced by Western Sound and Brooklyn Minds. We'll be back in a week. Thanks for listening.